and welcome to the North Decatur Presbyterian Church Sermon Series. We're a PCUSA congregation in Decatur, Georgia. If you'd like to find out more about us, go to ndpc.org or just come by and visit. Here's this week's sermon. Our scripture reading this morning is taken from Luke's Gospel, and as you hear this story, Pay attention to how Jesus invites us all to treat the things and the people that the world sees as worthless or even despised. From the sixth chapter, Jesus came down with the disciples and stood on a level place and A great crowd of disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea, Jerusalem, and the coast of Tyre and Sidon. They had come to hear Jesus and be healed of their diseases. And those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured. And all in the crowd were trying to touch Jesus, for power came out from him and healed all of them. Then Jesus looked up at his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you will be filled. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you, revile you, and defame you on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for surely your reward is great in heaven. For that is what their ancestors did to the prophets. But woe to you who are rich. You have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you will be hungry. Woe to you who are laughing now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when all speak well of you, for that is what their ancestors did to the false prophets. I say to you that listen, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. If anyone strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from anyone who takes away your coat, do not withhold even your undergarments. Give to everyone who begs from you. If anyone takes away your goods, do not ask for them back again. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. If you lend to those from whom you hope to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to receive as much again. But love your enemies. Do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. Your reward will be great. You will be children of the Most High for... God is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Be merciful. Be merciful just as God is merciful. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God.
one of the peculiar ironies of life has to do with your family. Our families are the people who protect us and take care of us when we are most needy and most vulnerable, and our families are also the people who inflict our first wounds. Over time, we come to learn that this is the nature of every one of our close relationships. If you're close enough to hug and to heal, you're also close enough to harm and to hurt. Sometimes the hurt that parents cause to their children is innocent and temporary, like when a parent says no to the child who demands the cookie for breakfast. But some hurts are not as innocent, nor are they as temporary. Absence, abuse, manipulation, a parent using a child for their own needs. That parents hurt children, even as we are trying to love them, is a story as old as time. The Hebrew scriptures give us the story of the ancestor Abraham, our father in the faith, who would even sacrifice his own son Isaac. We parents get lost in our own fear and insecurity and our anxiety, and we fail to see our children as separate from our own needs. I love how the poet Philip Larkin puts it in his poem, This Be the Verse. And I have to say, I've edited it for language. They mess you up, your mom and dad. They may not mean to, but they do. They fill you with the faults they had and add some extra just for you. But they were messed up in their turn by fools in old-style hats and coats who half the time were soppy stern and half at one another's throats. Man hands on misery to man. It deepens like a coastal shelf. Get out as early as you can. And don't have any kids yourself. (laughs) Yes, your parents screwed you up. I know, mine did too. The question is, what are we supposed to do about it? That's a big part of the work of adult spirituality. How do we come to terms with our past? How do we take all of the stuff that we have been given, the good and the bad, and make peace with it and make a life from it. Time, I'm afraid, does not magically heal all wounds. We can't just move on from the past, especially because those of us who have been wounded often become the wounder. Your father's anger that you always hated and feared winds up having a second life in you. Your mother's anxiety, the one that made life so chaotic in your own childhood, is now yours to freely share with the people around you. Or perhaps the chaos in your childhood home left you with unmet emotional needs, and you've spent the last several decades trying unfruitful strategies to meet those needs, at the same time creating a chaotic experience for your children in which they have unmet 
emotional needs. Healing the past and healing the present are often one and the same. So how do we come to terms with our past and perhaps even hope to break these generational patterns of often unconscious harm? Well, Jesus, as usual, is fairly helpful. Several times in the Gospels, Jesus will direct his disciples to leave their parents. He even once tells them to hate their parents, which sounds awfully harsh, but if you understand this as the imperative to make a break from being embedded in the emotional system of the family that raised you, it makes sense, doesn't it? Leaving home is not just a spatial reality that you accomplish at age 18. Leaving home is an emotional and spiritual journey to create sufficient distance from your parents that you can see both the blessings and the woundings for what they are. This leaving home is not about rejecting it or the people that nurtured you. Breaking away from home and from your parents is one of the necessary losses that we talked about last week that allows you a deeper understanding of the way that your home shaped you. In grown-up spirituality, we, we face a repeated set of choices throughout our adult lives. Will we seek our own growth as a person by excluding the painful parts of our life or by including them in who we are? Will we choose to reject the people who have hurt us or learn to accept them as they are? Will we orient ourselves to the world with a posture of judgment or will we assume a posture of mercy? As I read the way of Jesus, he seems to suggest that the better path is that we include what is painful is that we accept those who have hurt us and that we show mercy toward all. Seen in this light, our own spiritual maturity in following Jesus is not an exercise in piling up our good works and living a righteous life. Instead, Jesus says that we find our wholeness and even our holiness, for they are very much related by seeking connections with others, by embracing reconciliation. Spiritual maturity is amending. A few months ago, we were sitting together as a staff around the table down in the parlor And we were envisioning this series on spiritual maturity, on adult spirituality. And we were looking together for a metaphor, something that would would illustrate for us in a visual way this joining together of broken things, this gathering up and mending process. And Mary Anona was sitting over there and she shouted, Kintsugi! And I said, bless you! (laughs) And she said, no, Kintsugi is this practice in Japanese culture of restoring broken pots. She said, I learned about it through working with Claire Baldwin around her own funeral. 
It's the process for storing what is broken with gold. And so indeed it is. And so this morning, I ask you to watch this short video, which may be an introduction to you to this ancient practice of kintsugi. Though we may keep a little quiet about this, especially when young, we tend deep down to be rather hopeful that we will eventually manage to find perfection in a number of areas. We dream of one day securing an ideally harmonious relationship, deeply fulfilling work, a happy family life, and the respect of others. But life has a habit of dealing us a range of blows and leaving nothing much of this array of fine dreams save some shattered and worthless fragments. It's at moments of disillusion that we might turn our minds to a concept drawn from Japanese philosophy, and in particular from the Zen Buddhist approach to ceramics. Over the centuries, Zen masters developed an argument that pots, cups and bowls that had become damaged shouldn't simply be neglected or thrown away. They should continue to attract our respect and attention and be repaired with enormous care this process symbolizing a reconciliation with the flaws and accidents of time, intended to reinforce some underlying themes in Zen. The word given to this tradition of ceramic repair is kintsugi, kin, golden, tsugi, joinery. It means quite literally to join with gold. In Zen aesthetics, the broken pieces of an accidentally smashed pot should be carefully picked up, reassembled, and then glued together with lacquer inflected with the most expensive gold powder. There should be no attempt to disguise the damage. The point is to render the fault lines beautiful and strong. The precious veins of gold are there to emphasize that breaks have a philosophical merit all of their own. The origins of Kintsugi are said to date to the Muromachi period, when the shogun of Japan, Ashikaga Yoshimitsu, broke his favorite tea bowl and, distraught, sent it to be repaired in China. But on its return, he was horrified by the ugly metal staples that had been used to join the broken pieces and charged his craftsmen with devising a more appropriate solution. What they came up with was a method that didn't disguise the damage, but made something properly artful out of it. Kintsugi belongs to the Zen ideals of wabi-sabi, which cherishes what's simple, unpretentious and aged, especially if it has a rustic or weathered quality. A story is told of one of the great proponents of wabi-sabi, Sen no Rikyu. On a journey through southern Japan, he was once invited to a dinner where the host thought he would be impressed by an elaborate and expensive antique tea jar that he had bought from China. But Rikyu didn't even seem to notice this item and instead spent his time chatting and admiring a branch swaying in the breeze outside. In despair at his lack of interest, once Rikyu had left, the devastated host smashed the jar to pieces and retired to his room. But the other guests more wisely gathered the fragments and stuck them together through Kintsugi. When Rikyu next came to visit, the philosopher turned to the repaired jar and, with a knowing smile, exclaimed, Now it's magnificent. In an age that worships youth, perfection, and the new, the art of Kintsugi retains a particular wisdom as applicable to our own lives as it is to pots. The care and love expended on the shattered pieces should also encourage us to respect what is damaged and scarred, vulnerable and imperfect, starting with ourselves and those around us.
now it's magnificent. I hope you see the deep harmonies between the Zen Buddhist approach to being reconciled to our flaws and imperfections and Jesus' own encouragement to shower love on that which is painful and excluded in our lives. You see it so clearly in this passage from Luke's Gospel. He says if you're poor or hungry or weeping or hated, this is good, not because those are enjoyable experiences. They're good because you can be under no illusion that you live by your own strength or merit or that the goal of life is worldly status. If you are rich or full or happy or popular, Jesus says, be careful. You might begin to think that this is the goal of life or that you somehow deserve it. Jesus says, if you want to find the way, the way to wholeness, the way to life, you must draw close enough to your enemies to see them as human beings. You may never believe that you are righteous enough to hurt someone else. And you must give love, you must give love, you must give love to those who deserve it and to those who do not. These practices, these practices will shape a perspective in your life in which you never feel you are worth more than anyone else in the eyes of God, in which nothing to you is unlovable, in which nothing is beyond repair. In the way of Jesus, all things, all of life is connected by mercy. God's mercy becomes the living tissue that holds together this whole imperfect creation. God's mercy in the face of everything that falls apart is what finally holds it together. We know this must be true for the creation. And we know this must be true for our relationships with each other because it is first true for us. You have been held together by mercy. At some point in your life, you have looked at yourself in the mirror and seen staring back someone who is deeply flawed and whose flaws are beyond your own power to fix. You promised that you would never be angry like your father or anxious like your mother or as emotionally precarious as your parents, but here you are. Once wounded, you have become one who wounds, even wounding the dear ones you love the most. But on the way, on the way of Jesus, you, you learn to see that God has not yet found anyone so flawed that they are undeserving of God's love. If that is true for people, if it's true for people, it must also be true for the parts of your life. Nothing about you is ever excluded or lost. Nothing is ever so broken. It can't be mended by God's mercy. Not your own actions. Not your own past. And not your relationships with your parents or your children. If 
finish today with one of my favorite essays from the This I Believe series that was on the radio a few years ago. This one was written by the Reverend Susan Cook Kittredge, and it's called We All Need Mending. She says, mending, mending something is different than fixing it. Fixing it suggests that evidence of the problem will disappear. I see mending as a preservation of history and a proclamation of hope. When we mend broken relationships, we realize that we're better together than apart, and perhaps even stronger for the rip and the repair. Mending doesn't say this never happened. It says instead, as I believe the Christian cross does, something or someone was surely broken here. But with God's grace, it will rise to new life. So too, Kittredge says, of my old pajamas. So too, the fence around the garden. So too, of the friendship torn by misunderstanding. So too, of a country being ripped apart by economic and social inequity. So too, of a divide of enormous proportions across the globe. They all, she says, need mending. We all need mending. We all need mending. And what is mercy? If not God's great loving gesture given to us freely, which will mend this beautiful and broken creation, beginning with you.